went to a rise this year. He was our only young people that did that. He hitched a ride with the Porter's Grove group, and uh, or he was a stowaway, one or the other. I don't know, but huh? The second one. There you go. And uh, but uh, he was sharing with us in Sunday school a little bit about it. But I just wanted him to have us open us up in prayer this evening. All right. Dear Lord, thank you, Lord, that we can come into your house tonight, Lord, and we have an opportunity, Lord, to come in here and worship your name, Lord. And uh, we pray for the few prayer requests that are mentioned, Lord. We pray for uh, Bertie Fisher, Lord, that you pray that the procedure would come go well coming up, Lord, and they would get all the cancer taken out, Lord. And we pray for Trent and Marty, Lord, that you would just comfort them, Lord. And, Lord, we pray for uh, Ida Kerlock, Cur Lord, that uh, her uh, chemo starts tomorrow, Lord. We know how difficult chemo can be, Lord. And we pray that you just comfort them, Lord, and comfort Travis, Lord, and we pray, Lord, that everything go well here tonight, Lord. Pray that your spirit will move, Lord, and we pray for the word that's preached, Lord, that we would be open and receptive to it, Lord, in your name, amen. 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 All right, let's get a hymnal. Turn to page 198. Let's stand and worship the Lord together tonight. On the last verse, we'll drop the music and sing it like we usually do. <laughs> Yeah. 
seated this evening. We've got just a few announcements that we want you to remember. One of them being that on Wednesday night, it will be a, a business meeting here at Nottingham Baptist, so don't forget that. Uh, Tuesday night, there is no youth group, okay? So I was going back and forth, and I wasn't thinking about what I had already said. But Tuesday night, no youth group. So get that, kids. Make sure you got that. Uh, and so remember that. Thursday night is the gospel singing at the Cecil County Fair. Don't forget that. The Nottingham Four will be there. Dixie Melody Boys. Browders. Down East Boys. Thank you. Down East, Dixie Melody, right? Chosen Road. All right. And so we're looking forward to that. Just a great evening. So come on out, 5 o'clock, 5.30 to around 10. You don't have to stay till 10, okay? So don't feel that you committed, all right? But come on out and just enjoy the evening. It's going to be a great time. All right, at this time, we'll have our ushers come for our Sunday evening tithes and offerings. One thing I want to say about that, I was talking to Tom Clue this afternoon, and, uh, you know, there's a couple of things. This is interesting to me. So we had the Billy Graham event over at Fair Hill, and that was a great night. I got to lead a few people to the Lord, and that was wonderful. On this last week was FCA, what they call Power Camp. That's Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Tom was telling me a little bit of a story about some of the kids who were there during power camp. They all decided to meet at the fair. And they met at the fair, and they met around the gospel singing wagon. And they had a word of prayer before they left out of there to go out. And there's a young man in that group, and he's the kind of young man. I've been watching him for a while. He's the kind of young man that revivals start around, and uh, I'm just praying. Maybe when Thursday night we get out there and the Lord just keeps moving on that place and people are praying over it, uh, that we could just see a great revival in a place that greatly needs it. So uh, come on out, enjoy the evening. Uh, but most of all, let's be praying about our communities that need the gospel and praying that God will do a work with it. Willie, would you ask a blessing on the offering? service tonight, be with the choir as they sing, be with Brother Michael who brings the message. For somebody here, Father, who is not saved, that today would be the day they could save for its everlasting too late. I now pray for the offering, Father, the gift and the giver. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Pivotal again, uh, page 355. Everybody stand. Praise Him.
thing. Uh, but uh, in the deacons meeting, we were just talking about how blessed our church is and uh, all the many generations that have served here, raised up their families here, and the many times we've seen God move. And this truly is holy ground. And uh, we don't want to take for granted what God has done. And uh, there's so much more we need him. We need him every day. On our best days, we need him as much as we need him on our worst days. Amen. And uh, I wanted um, Miss Lisa to sing God Still Answers Prayers. We have some families right now in our church that are going through some very hard times. Uh, I think of the Saners. Uh, we were talking about them a little bit. And um, we are talking about Phil and Birdie and, and Miss Brenda. And uh, some of these people have been going through things for a very, very long time. And... Uh, but a part of the thing that has made this church great is all the prayers that have been lifted up. And uh, no matter what, God still answers prayers. And uh, we want to lift these people up uh, that are in need right now. And uh, God's the same God that he's never changed. And uh, we know he can answer these prayers. And we also know sometimes he don't answer them the way we want to. But uh, thankful for this church and I'm thankful for all the prayers uh, that have been lifted up here through the years and I uh, hope this song blesses you.
been looking back along this winding road to the old familiar markers of the mercies I have known. I know it may sound simple, but it's more than a cliche. There's no better way to tell you than to
Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Zechariah, chapter number 3. Zechariah, chapter number 3. We've been preaching through the book of Zechariah. And here we find ourselves at chapter 3. It's 10 verses. Is chapter number 3. We are going to read them all this evening. And then bring the message the Lord has laid on our heart. And uh, every time, every time I come into this book, I just keep, the Lord is blessing my heart. Uh, Wednesday night, uh, I, I just, I was just thrilled with how the Lord just directed our heart in that, in chapter number two. And uh, I can even tell you that, like, there was stuff that the Lord was bringing and putting on my heart that wasn't even in my notes. And wow, what a chapter. And I, I thank the Lord for the power of the word of God. Uh, and tonight, I believe we're going to see that again. Zechariah is a, a book of the post-captive captivity of the people of Jerusalem or of Israel. They've come back to the city. They're rebuilding the city. We've already talked about this. There's discouragement all over the place. There's not a lot of them that have come back. They start to feel like, man, the, the job's too big. There's not a lot of us. How are we ever going to get this done? But God sends men like Zechariah. God sends men like Haggai and Ezra to encourage them and Nehemiah that they would be encouraged in the work of the Lord. And we can see that when we come to these passages that God has an amazing way that while He encourages them, He can encourage us. He can do that. It's not out of God's control. Did you realize this tonight? You ready? You ready for this? God can multitask. Did you realize that? So when he goes over there and he blesses them, there's a reason he had it recorded in the Holy Scriptures because he knew that in 2023 that we could read it and it would bless us, it would encourage us, and it would keep us in the fight uh, for the kingdom of God. And so tonight we're going to look at Zechariah 3. We're going to keep that big picture in mind that he wants to keep you in the fight. He wants to keep you encouraged along the way. He wants to make sure that you know that what you are doing is worth fighting for. Boy, that's a big one right there. You know, I feel like preaching tonight, feeling pretty good, okay? You know, when I watched my grandson crawl around the floor for the first time, it was the coolest thing, right? There he went. There's some things worth fighting for, amen? I want the gospel to be just as real to him. I want him to know the word of God just the same way. Man, there's some stuff that's worth fighting for. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get back on track. Zechariah chapter 3, if you found it, stand with me. We start reading in verse number 1. We're going to read all the way down through verse number 10. And he showed me. This, this angel that is giving all these visions to Zechariah. All I'm doing is putting you in context real quick. He is now embarking upon the fifth, the fifth vision that he's given to him. And here's what he says. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan... The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? 
Now Joshua, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thy iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with the change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head, and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon the stone shall, even, shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this evening for the word of God. Dear Lord, we pray that we would rightly divide it this evening. Dear God, we want to we say what is inspired by the Holy Ghost to say. We want you to help us, dear God, to not add anything, to not take anything away, but to simply expound the truth that is in the word of God. Tonight, dear God, I believe there is so much encouragement in these verses. Dear God, once again, I, I believe with all my heart that we see our Savior clearly as we move through it. Dear God, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Dear God, help us to see that we, we are on the winning side. We are the ones that are victorious. We are the ones that, God, you have set your love upon. You have chosen. Dear God, we are a blessed people. Dear Lord, we've already sang your praises tonight. Our hearts have already been filled. And so tonight, dear God, I pray that you would, that you would cement the worship with the word of God tonight so that we go out of here not just with a feeling but with a surety from the word of God. We love you. We praise you for everything that you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I just want to do something very, very easy this evening. I already have gave you a little bit of recap so that you remember where we are. As a matter of fact, when we've gone through these and we've looked at the visions that uh, Zechariah is receiving, and he is receiving these of the Lord in different ways, we see that he sees the vision of the one riding on the horse, and then we see the other horsemen and we understood it was Jesus Christ. We saw the fact that there was the empires of the, of the world that were placed in visions of horns. And then we saw the fact that there was those carpenters or engravers that made sure of the different ones that were falling. And ultimately it was Jesus Christ that came on the scene uh, and was the one that destroyed them all and gave us everything. And then last uh, on Wednesday night, we talked about the one measuring the line. 
with the measuring line over Jerusalem and the plans that God had had. These visions are amazing to me that they just keep speaking of Jesus Christ. And so as we come to this one, we're going to find that this one indeed is no exception. We also are going to find that I really believe this. When you talk about encouraging, when you talk about motivating us for the cause of Christ, there is no greater message than the gospel of Jesus Christ in encouraging and motivating us for the work that is at hand. What is it that should inspire us? I love the song Derek sings, another look at Calvary, right? Every once in a while we need to stop and go back and remember what Christ has done for us. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ himself said, listen, you need to observe the Last Supper. You need to observe this time when you go back and remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. This will be motivation for what you need. I was preaching a revival one time uh, up in Pennsylvania. And about the third night of it, one of the gentlemen in the revival, he said, can I take you out to breakfast in the morning? I said, sure. And when I got to breakfast, I realized that he wanted to scold me on my preaching, right? And if you've been a preacher, you're going to find out that that happens more than you would think, okay? There's a lot of people that want to question what you're talking about. No joke. I had a guy one time, he said that he didn't believe, he didn't believe me when I said that I had fasted for four days. He said it was impossible. I said, are you, anyway, are you crazy? I said, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 Anyway, but they will, they will call you to the mat on all kinds of stuff. And he said, listen, he said, why are you preaching all these gospel messages at our revival? Don't you know that revival is for the church and all these people are saved? And I wanted to tell him that old joke and be like, well, if you are saved, why don't you act like it? But I didn't. Okay, but what I did say is I said, don't you believe with me that if someone were to get saved this week, it would be the most encouraging thing that could ever happen in this church. And he was like, well, I never really thought about it that way. And I just asked him, quite frankly, how long has it been since somebody walked the aisle at your church and got saved? And he said, I can't even remember. I said, it might do it a dose of good if somebody walked the aisle and got saved. Because Jesus Christ is still the most encouraging thing. He's the lily of the valley. He's, the, he's our day star. He is everything to us. He should and be. And every time we come to the Word of God and we see it pointing to Him and showing a glimpse of Him, we ought to get excited about the fact that it's showing us what Jesus is like, and we can learn something else about who he is and his character. And so we see this. So tonight, all we're going to do real quick, all we're going to do real quick, my outline is super easy. We're going to look at the three characters that are in chapter number uh, three. But as we look at the three characters, we're going to take special note of the Lord at the end. But I want you to notice that inside of chapter number three, we have three characters. We have Joshua, we have the Lord, and we have Satan. Those are the three characters that we have in there. And so quickly, we're just going to look at them. I'm not going to take too much time. just want to do that. Number one, I'm not going to go in the order that I gave them to you because I don't like that order. I'm going to go in this order better, and I'm going to start this way because I want to end with the Lord. That's a good place to stop. Amen? But first, we're going to look at Satan here. 
Now I want you to look at this, and the Bible says in chapter 3, verse number 1, we read it, and he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan, and Satan, standing at his right hand to resist him, to resist him. Now, I want you to notice that as we come to this right here and we look at this, this name Satan is not unusual to us. And it really has two things that it could speak to when it talks about him. Number one, it could mean the adversary. And it also is known as the accuser. We are familiar all throughout scripture with those two terms being used for Satan. As a matter of fact, all throughout the Bible, it's going to talk about it. For your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I want you to understand this and get this one out there in the open real quick for you right here, that Satan is the adversary. He is against you. Okay? There you go. You can get that one right out of the way. No matter how much he tries to make himself look like an angel of light, no matter how much he tries to disguise himself as your friend, as your fun time buddy, or all of the things that he would bring to it, it is important for us to always remember that his title and one of his first titles is he is the adversary of the saints. He is against you. And he is sly and sneaky, all of those things. He filled the serpent and his first words, his first words that came to Eve were subtle. It was a lie, no doubt, but it was subtle and it was questioning the authority of God himself. Did God not say? Did God not say? Questioning the authority of God itself and he's going to do that in your life because he is against you. He knows. He wants that. And then the second one is that he is the accuser. Now, we're familiar with this, and we're going to get here at the end. That's for sure. We are familiar with the fact that he is the accuser of the brethren. We see that also all throughout the, that he stands there and he accuses. As a matter of fact, this is even an Old Testament principle, because you remember in the book of Job, that Satan stands before God and says, hey, the only reason Job loves you is because you're so good to Job, right? He is accusing Job of being uh, in it just for the money, right? He is just saying, Job's heart's not pure. Job's not anything. And he stands before God accusing us and saying all these things against us. But the, it is also true, and this is very interesting, because we see it in Job, that that accusation goes two ways. He is also accusing God. You might say, well, what in the world could he accuse God of? He is accusing God of being unrighteous. Hey, God, if you're so good and so righteous, why is it that you're letting this happen over here? God, how come you've done this and, and allowed sin to just keep going on? Does that sound familiar, right? Have you ever been witnessing to somebody and they say, if God is so good, why does he allow evil in the world? You ever heard somebody argue that? Guess what? It's already been argued, okay? Satan's already brought that up, okay? The old accuser has been bringing that up for centuries. I want to remind you of something 
that we see in the book of uh, Romans, chapter number 3, and I believe in verses 4, 5, and 6, that Paul himself describes why that is so important. And he says, yes, God indeed, for a space of time, was long-suffering, leaving, leaving the sins of men unpunished. But at a time appointed by God, he poured out the wrath of the sin of the whole world on his son, Jesus Christ. Did you realize that? And so he can look at Satan and say, Satan, I understand that you're trying to accuse me of unrighteousness, but I want you to say all of that sin is already paid for. Are you following me? I want you to follow me real quick. In turn, you can say to that one, oh, it is a wicked world. And guess what? Jesus paid for every one of those sins. He did. Jesus paid for all of that. Do you believe that? Do you believe the word of God when it says that Jesus died for the sins of the world? Right? Last time I checked, okay, we're not limited atonement people here, right? Right? You know what that means, right? That means that he only died for the sins of those that get saved. We don't believe that, right? We believe he died for the sins of the whole world so that if any person comes to him, they are able to receive pardon full and free. And guess what? Even if they don't receive him, he still paid for their sins. Amen. And their rejection is double on their head. Their sin is paid for. God is not guilty. God is not unrighteous. God is not unholy. And every sin that every person, the atrocities of the world were placed upon Jesus Christ and he paid for every sin. Amen. And when the old accuser comes and accuses you and accuses God, God still says, what sin are you talking about? What sin are you talking about? The old accuser has nothing on God himself as he brings those things. And then I like this, because not only does the accuser doing that work, and he's talking this about the brethren, and man, isn't it encouraging that Jesus Christ isn't just fighting for you? He's, he's finished all that. He's finished all that fight. It's done with. But not only that, here's what he says, and I really love this. He says in, in verse number 2, he says, and the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuked thee. I love these passages of scripture where Zechariah, we saw it before, didn't we? The Lord sent the Lord. And here we have the Lord saying, the Lord rebuked you. So the Lord is telling the Lord, I want you to go and rebuke him. What's going on there? That God the Father is telling Jesus Christ the Son, go ahead, rebuke him for the work that you've done. Because remember, He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, right? In God's mind, it's already done. I know it's hard to wrap our minds around, but he's saying, go ahead. Hey, Jesus, go ahead and rebuke him because he doesn't know what he's talking about, right? And then he says this, okay? Oh, Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. And then here's the good one. Is not this a brand plucked? out of the fire. He's saying, listen, he's saying, Satan, you don't understand. I am not going to let my people burn. This is going to be important later on too. It's going to look like it's too late. It's going to look like they're in the fire and it's all over, but I will pluck that brand out of the fire. 
I will remove it out of it. I will not let my children burn. Oh, it's going to get hot, okay? Right? It's going to get tough. Did it get tough for the children of Israel? Absolutely. They faced captivity. They faced trial. They faced difficulty. Even in the will of God, they faced difficulty. Guess what? It's going to get hot, but God's not going to let you burn. He's not. So I like that one. That one I like. Maybe you didn't. Number two. So number one, we had Satan. We looked at him. We dealt with him pretty good. Jesus Christ is dealing with Satan. It's okay. All right, number two. We've got Joshua. Joshua. Now here's what's good about this. A little bit of research over into the book of Ezra and Haggai and Nehemiah. You'll find out that Joshua was the actual high priest during that time. He was the actual high priest of that moment in time. So as he sees this vision, Zechariah is seeing the high priest that he knows. The high priest that makes atonement for the, for the children of Israel. That on the day of atonement would go into the holies of holies and do the work of high priest. He is aware of who this guy is. This is Joshua. This is who he sees. And as he sees Joshua, he understands... That's my high priest. That is the man that is representing God for me and me for God. He's doing the work for me that I can't do. That makes sense, doesn't it? Right? You got that? What's so important about that as well is that is exactly during that point in time in history the role that Israel is playing to the rest of the world. If the rest of the world wants to know about God, they've got to come through the nation of Israel. They've got to find out about it from them. If they want to understand the characteristics about who God is and His long-suffering and His goodness to His people, then they are going to look at how He deals with His people, Israel. This still rings true today. Why is the Old Testament so important to us? If you want to have an understanding about how God is going to deal with you, go look at the nation of Israel. Okay? When you turn away, He will chastise you. Why are there so many among you that are sick or afflicted? Hmm. Right? Remember that? That's New Testament stuff, right? Because they've forsaken the house of God and God's people. They've walked away from it and they found themselves chastened by God. Is that always the case? No. God can test you in other ways and we see that as well. But we should never, because we're quick to do this, aren't we? Well, God doesn't deal with us like that. Really? He doesn't? Those whom He loves, He chastises. He punishes them. And when we see throughout the course of Israel, we can see something that God is doing. And he says it to them right here. Listen, hey, I'm telling you, Joshua, if you will walk rightly among me, if you will keep my words and commandments, you're going to see that as he says it in verse number four. He or excuse me, in verse number seven. He says it in verse number seven. If you walk rightly before me, then guess what? You're going to judge. You're going to do well. You're going to have those things. God still expects His people to walk holy before Him, to follow His commandments, to live righteously. And guess what? A lot of times the chastisement that we face is our own repercussions of the way we're living. 
God's not above just doing that right there, is he? If you want to go and spend your life with alcohol and all of that stuff, you're going to face the repercussions of it, right? And it's all around us. If you want to spend your life with drugs and just doing whatever you want, the repercussions are all around us. I'm going to tell you what, that one too is so sad in our communities because it's so hard to break people out of those cycles and move them from those things. And our society really, they think they have answers, but they don't. I'm telling you that right now. You guys know that I do enough work in the community and trying to help out, and the answers that they have to help them is just another pill, okay, or another drug. It is not. It is not Jesus Christ, and it is not a real fix. And as a matter of fact, if I can go ahead and be frank and just do a little preaching, we've even seen some of that eyewitness firsthand here lately. That what the world has is not a real. And what they need is the, to Jesus Christ to get a hold of them. And guess what? It's still possible for people to stop that mess cold turkey when they get a hold of Jesus for real. It's still possible. They don't need something to crutch on for months and years. Man, I guess I'm just going to preach this stuff tonight, okay? They need to just get a real hold of Jesus and say it's time to stop because I care so much about who he is. Anyway, he sees Joshua, the high priest, the embassy, the one who is speaking to God to, for the people, and he is a representative of it. This is who Joshua is. And this is who the church is now. We are the body of Christ. We are the physical representation. We, did, we replace, did we replace Israel? No, not by any means. Don't get it wrong. Don't ever forget that. The church is doing this work now, but we didn't replace them. As a matter of fact, in case you were wondering about that, one day the church will be raptured out of here. Amen? And when we leave... The testimony will go back to the Jew. There will be 144,000 that come out of every tribe of Jerusalem and they will be the witnesses of, the, of Jesus Christ. That's who they will be. Isn't it amazing? God's not finished with the Jews. He has not replaced them with the church. And when we leave out of here, the witness doesn't leave, but the Jew will make that. He's going to come right back and do what he's going to do. Man, there's so much preaching in here. Anyway, whew we got to get done. Anyway, we are God's ambassadors. They was that. Now look at this. This is where it gets good, and we ought to be excited about this. He's got a filthy garment on. Why? Why does he have a filthy Why does the high priest have a filthy garment on? Why? Because Israel's been sinning. Amen? Israel's been sinning. They've been out there doing all kinds of iniquity. But God, let's just read them. All we got to do is read this stuff right here. Verse number four, are you ready? He talks about the filthy garment in verse number three. Verse number four, and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, say, take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, behold, I have caused thy iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. Put a new robe on him. Take away his iniquity. Whew. Last time I checked, there's only one that can take away iniquity. There's only one. As a matter of fact, we, we heard a message about it not too long ago. 
They questioned him when he said, Arise up, thy sins be forgiven. They said, Who does he think he is that he can forgive sins? He said, Why don't you hang out, hang out for about two and a half more years and I'll show you exactly who I am and why I can take away sins. When he went to an old rugged cross and he paid the price for the sins of the whole world, Amen. that's what gives him the authority to take away sin. And he comes in here and he says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. I will put on you a new robe and a new... I know you've messed that one all up, but it's okay. I can deal with that. Isn't that wonderful? That's all we really have to say about that. Look what Joshua needed it. The children of Israel needed it. I need it. Hey, when that old accuser comes and starts telling you about sin, just remind him. God doesn't even know it. Christ has paid for it. It is not even there. He puts that on him. He says, there's a lot of preaching right there, but we can't even do it. The last one, number three. We see Satan. We see Joshua. And then we see the Lord. Then we see the Lord. I absolutely love these passages of Scripture. That, and hopefully, Let's just see how the Lord helps us to preach through this. Look, look at verse number eight. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant the branch. I think our pastor mentioned it this morning that Jesus Christ is so often introduced as a servant in the many different ways that he's... I don't know about your Bible, but I have a Schofield Bible. It is translated the branch in all capital letters. This is the root of Jesse. I love that idea. The branch, the root. It gives the idea of, of a stump that's there and it's been cut off. But yet out of it, something starts to grow. Something, you ever done that? You ever cut down a tree? And it should be dead, right? I mean, you just completely annihilated that thing. But you come back later and somehow out of it, it just starts to grow again. Man, I'm telling you what. The old accuser. This, this stuff's going together so nicely. Boy, the Bible's good. He really thought he beat him, didn't he? He thought he'd cut him down. He thought he'd cut him down in the Old Testament when he had put him in captivity. He was just working God's work. He was just doing what God needed done. And every time he thinks he's cut it down, here out of that stump, the branch and the root of Jesse just keeps coming out. And man, one day in a little town just outside of Jerusalem, a little baby cried for the first time. That was the root of Jesse. Oh my. And he was going to do a marvelous work. He was going to take away the sins of the world. And as a matter of fact, later on in his thing, he would say, I am the vine and ye are the branches. Hmm. I'm going to tie you in on what I'm doing. Man, that's pretty good, isn't it? I'm going to connect you up. I'm the vine that sprouted out of that seed of Jesse 
had come from David that, that everyone had counted out. That as a matter of fact, at the time of... At the, think about this. Have you ever thought about this? Why at the time of Christ was Joseph seemingly a no one, but yet was in the line of David? How is that going on? Why is it that no one recognizes the importance of Joseph being of the lineage of David? Because everybody forgot about it. But here comes the root and the seed. And he springs forth. I almost entitled this, this uh, the root and the rock. Because also he says that this is the stone, doesn't he? For behold, verse number 9, the stone that I have laid before Joshua. Not only is Jesus Christ the root, is he the branch, is he that seed, but he's also the stone. He is the chief cornerstone. As a matter, I don't have to make that argument, right? Upon this rock I will build my church. He wasn't talking about Peter, he was talking about Jesus Christ, right? There is a chief cornerstone that has been laid. It is a stumbling block to the Jews. He's very interesting as he speaks about that stone. It shall have seven eyes. Perfect vision will be given to that stone. He will see all things and he will be aware of their moving and as they go. And then this is what he does. And this is what I'm going to end with. And this is about all the time we got. I have preached way longer than I ever intended to. But you're with me, right? Look at verse, the end of verse number 9. And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In one day. One day on a hill called Calvary, Jesus Christ removed the iniquity of the entire planet when he paid for the sins of the whole world. That's how powerful he is. Let's go. I got I to gotta do this. I can't finish this message without doing it. Revelation chapter number 12. Revelation chapter number 12. I didn't mark it. I wasn't planning on going there, but I want to go there. So stick with me. Stick with me. Revelation chapter 12, verse number 11. Let's read a few verses and see if it sounds familiar. Let's start in verse number 7. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. Oh, Who's the dragon? And the dragon fought with his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ. Watch this. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. Who can rebuke Satan? Oh yeah, Jesus Christ can. Why? Because he's the one that's done this. Watch this. And they overcame him. How did they manage to do that? By the blood of the Lamb? Amen, right? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. I can tell you about what Jesus did for me.
Satan comes and accuses the brethren. And he brings all that stuff. And he says, why would you let them in? Day and night he stands before him. But God the Father sends out Jesus Christ to rebuke Satan. And he rebukes him. And he says, what can you hold against them? Uh, and they come and they say, let us share with you what the blood of Jesus Christ has done. And guess what? They got a testimony to back it up. I accepted one day the blood of Jesus Christ to speak for me. I know what Jesus did for me. He shed his blood to set me free. Boy, that's encouraging stuff, amen? And then, just a little future kingdom, because they got to throw that in. If he's done all that for you, and he's, made all, and he's, thrown this, he's thrown Satan in the pit, and he's never to accuse anymore, Verse number 10 of our text this evening. In that day saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor. Old Jonathan McNeese, he calls everybody neighbor. Hey neighbor, hey neighbor. He says that all the time, everywhere we go. Hey neighbor. One day he's going to be okay with it, all right? But isn't that a good thing? But I love this part and I'm just going to end with this. It's a little bit... I don't know. Poetry is important because it speaks to you. And this is what it speaks to me. Then he says this. This is that phrase we keep coming across all the time. That every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. He keeps talking about this all the time, doesn't he? You're going to sit under your vine. You're going to sit under your fig tree. You're going to be blessed and there's going to be peace. Delmer's got a big old tree in his backyard. And usually, if we find ourselves there, we end up sitting under that tree, don't we, Delmer? He's got lots of porches, too, and he's got lots of other places to get cover and shelter and shade and all those things. But it's just really nice to sit under that tree, isn't it? There's some peace and contentment that comes from just sitting there. As a matter of fact, every year of Father's Day, it seems like a whole bunch of us spend... There's all kinds of things going on four-wheelers and volleyball and everything, but there's us older people, I'll admit to it. We don't move, right? We just sit under the tree, and we talk, and we remember, and it's a peaceful time. And I'm looking forward to one day when we can just keep going over to each other's house, sit under the tree, call him our neighbor, have a feeling Jesus is going to stop by, and it's going to be pretty sweet. There ain't just any other way to put it. And we'll have all eternity to share in the goodness and the peace and the blessing. That has so many ramifications. Sitting under his fig tree represents just a place of eternal blessing. That just there's fruit and there's protection. And there's all of those things just, just flow out of the goodness of God's hand. And we are eternally protected by them. We are eternally nourished by them. And we are eternally in fellowship with Christ in them. Oh my goodness. The Lord is good. His mercy endureth to all generations. It's been good to be in his house this evening. Every head bowed, every eye closed.
They're going to come and prepare a hymn of invitation this evening. I don't know. Maybe you just got a little weary in well-doing. Remember what we're talking about. They're building walls. They're rebuilding temples. Maybe it's gotten a little tiresome as you've been out there trying to work to protect your family, as you've been trying to work to make a temple, a habitation, a living place for God so that your family and those around you see that there's something. And maybe as the Word of God tells us, you just got a little weary in well-doing. Well, let me just encourage you tonight from the Word of God that it's still worth fighting for. There's still something that's bigger than us. Jesus Christ has already fought the battle, paid the price. All of your sins have all been forgiven. And we ought to glory in His name and praise Him for everything He's done. And just bask a little bit in the glory of who He is. Maybe you need to come and get around an altar and get encouraged again. Maybe you just need to pray where you are. Hey, whatever you do is fine with me. Now is your opportunity to do that. Lord, help us in our invitation. Do what we need to do. They're going to sing. You listen if you know it. When I see the sunrise in the morning